0: 520,000 uh, foster children in the United States that, that are there that, that
1: need help. That have no parents, that have no families, that have, right? Yeah,
0: or their, well, their, their parental rights um, have been taken away and they are in state custody. That's right. That's um, right. But the, the issue is different in every part of the world.
1: when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. The world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends. Today, we are on the brink of greatness. Well, I don't really believe there are a lot of coincidences. Uh, I don't believe things happen by accident a lot. Uh, I'm not so sure that uh, most things we do on a daily basis, they're tied to a mission. There's, there's, a, there's a bigger plan. Sometimes you don't even know what it is, people. I've seen it in my own life. I'm sure you've seen it in yours. It's interesting how life can take a different turn. And what's really fascinating to me, it can happen when you least expect it. And it can also happen uh, at the spurt of a moment when you're not even sure you're headed in that direction. And one decision you make can change your entire life. I'm always fascinated with that. Again, let's get back to those coincidences. There aren't many of them around people. And Think about it here. Today we've got a very, uh, an incredible story. I was just reading moments before coming on with you today. And uh, it is a Brink story, if there ever was one. I'd like you to meet today our Brink thinker, Greg Buzik. And uh, Greg, you, what I find most interesting uh, about this, first of all, the journey and the mission that you were on and, and the work you're doing now around the world is really fascinating to me with the children and all. And we're going to dive more into all of this, but I want to start with this incredible story and this mission where, and one of the moments I've seen uh, is where you went back to your desk and you were fired. And and which just really caught my eyes. And I thought, okay, what did Greg do now? You know, we talk about the brink of greatness being a big moment in your life, something that happened that took you on a journey where everything changed. The decisions your life changed. What was going on in your life at that moment? And bring us to that moment of time, uh, if you will, and where it all changed for you sure i was a product manager for a product that
0: uh, is a deactivation product that deactivates security tags that was extremely successful i just happened to be there at the right time and it was a product that ended up making a company the company a hundred million dollars um his products in every walmart kmart home depot etc and i had gotten involved with my church and uh after after uh hearing you know seeing that this product made a hundred million dollars it left me a little empty compared to kind of what was going into in my life spiritually at the time and uh to be truthful i wasn't really a good product manager there's uh plenty of interesting stories there but um my boss was asking us to go in a direction that i didn't believe we should go into and uh at the time, I was kind of pushing away from my boss, and, and at the same time, I had this lunch appointment, and I had a lunch appointment with a gentleman from our church who handled small groups and
1: missions. Greg, how long it's- had you been with the company at that point? I had been with the company two years at that time. Two years, you're grown apart, you can kind of feel it, and you believe he yeah. can feel it as well, right? Right, exactly,
0: and, and I think he just wanted to go in another direction that I didn't think
1: ethically we could go in. Ah, uh, 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 interesting. You say ethically. That that gets my ear. Go ahead. Continue. Yeah.
0: Yes. So I, I go to lunch with the gentleman um, from our church. And as I mentioned, he does small groups and missions. And I said, hey, I'd like to get more involved and do things. And in my ego, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, go ahead and start a small group and teach and be a teacher and all that sort of stuff. And he said, no, we, we need help in missions. And I'm like, uh i'm a i'm a business guy i no idea what that has to do with missions and uh he says well that's where we need need the help and before i got back to my desk my boss walked me out of the building i got fired
1: and he didn't know any of this was happening you had the launch oh, he, of course he, he, not. right no. he knew none of that clearly none of, none of that
0: none of that whatsoever wow. and um and so that got my attention, and I thought, I oh, think. I'll have some time. Maybe I can do a short-term mission trip or go do something uh, related to that. And I thought I'd go somewhere for a week uh, or something. And um, everything kept coming back to Africa. And Now, why was uh, it coming
1: back to Africa? Tell me why, because I, I read no that idea. somewhere.
0: Okay, I have no idea. <laughs> so that. hold on now. In your, nice mind,
1: in your mind, you're saying it kept coming back. You were thinking no, about I this.
0: Friends. I had friends. Uh-huh. Uh, who were coming up to me and said, you know, I know you keep mentioning Mexico and Latin and South America. This was based in Miami. I was down in Miami, uh, Fort Lauderdale area at the time. And they kept coming back to me and says, no, I think for some reason God wants to send you to Africa. And you're supposed to do something in Africa. And I'm like, I don't want to go to Africa. Now
1: your friends are telling you this?
0: Oh, yeah. friends. Friends that... Or in the church, friends that I used to work with in Atlanta, other people are saying that. I'm turning on the radio, and, right. and, and the things on missions are about Africa. And I'm like, I really don't want to go to Africa. At the time, I was taking a class called the Obedient Life class. Okay. And uh, one of the things is I'm going through this and, and going, you know, Africa, really. And I had narrowed it down to two countries um, Liberia and the country of Kenya. And there was a young lady who just come back from a trip to Kenya. And I met with her that night and I met with her and I knew in my, my heart that Kenya was not the place I was supposed to go. And literally I'm sitting there going, Liberia, are you kidding me? This is 1995. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm going, all I know about Liberia is my friend Chet is there and he's been shot at had an eight-year-old holding ak-47 towards him he's had malaria three times and they're about to go into civil war there's all kinds of unrest and so i'm driving up i-95 in boca raton florida um at 10 30 at night after this class going lord if you want me to go to liberia i i need something like this burning bush type of sign here because i i, I have no interest in going to liberia And as I'm saying that prayer and I pass uh, Palmetto Park Road, there's a guy pushing his car up the side of the road. And I pull over to help this guy. And he has a bumper sticker that says, I support Liberia. Oh,
1: wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's like, wow. Chances in South Florida with six lanes of traffic. I support Liberia. Wow.
0: Support Liberia. So I gave this guy a ride home. Mm Mm-hmm Um, because his car is obviously dead. He thinks I'm nuts. And he was from Liberia, yeah? He was from Liberia. He had escaped from Liberia because of the the war-torn nature of the situation. And I took the guy home. I never talked to him again, but I'm sitting there going, wow, Liberia. And then I remembered a uh, a quote from Pastor Chuck Smith saying, always be aware and be um, careful about signs and wonders, because that can lead you astray. If you don't have scripture... To back that up.
1: You know. Now stop there a moment. I want to talk to you about that, please. That that gets my attention as well. Now he said, the senior pastor said to beware of signs and wonders. Tell me why and what that means.
0: Well, signs and wonders in and of themselves, so okay. miracles, you know, god etc., that are that are by themselves that are not necessarily backed up by a scriptural reference or or um other other things to back that up. So you know if you go through bible times there's all kinds of things where there are spiritual things that are done by the by
1: the enemy of our souls who will who will share things to deceive us and so so, so the- wait a minute so now so to understand this now so mm-hmm. let's say they were i I guess what you're saying maybe is if there were multiple signs that were saying liberia along the journey and there wasn't a sign connected that to scripture in the bible that would make that that's, that's
0: where I was at. That's where I was at that time. I was looking for. I needed that scripture confirmation, and because I didn't have it, that was my get out of Liberia free card, because I didn't have it at that time. So, I literally was using that as an excuse not to pursue going to Liberia at that time. So I go back to that class the following Monday, and as I'm there, the first thing the guy, the the teacher, opens up. He opens up Genesis 12, 1, and God's call to Abram says, leave your country, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then, and then there's some other pieces along that line. And I literally looked at that, and I said, who am I? I'm a business guy. I'm not a missionary. What am I that? And I flipped the page, and the next verse was uh, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And I'm literally, like, going through, and, I, and I'm having this argument in the class by myself is I'm going through there, and I keep getting hit by scriptures. And finally, the last one uh, came up um, where Moses said, send somebody else. I don't want to go. And that's literally where I was. And then I read the next line, and it said, then the ang- the Lord's anger burned at Moses. And I went, wow, I'm going to Liberia. And I can remember clear as day, the, the night the Browns, the Cleveland Browns, were playing the Pittsburgh Steelers in Monday night football, and I'm sitting in my friend's house and my heart is just beating out of his chest and I'm thinking I'm going to Liberia. So at that time I started planning to go to Liberia. I didn't have a job. I was, I was planning to, uh, be a missionary there. I got a really generous severance package. I was going to say, and how are
1: you making a living? That's what I was going to yeah, ask you next. So I, ended okay. up,
0: I ended up working three different jobs. I worked okay. a small business accounting job and that's kind of how this all came together. Um, in many ways, I, I learned how to do small business accounting mm-hmm. and such. And um, mm-hmm. as a result, I started this thing. I got all my shots. I got typhoid shots and, and malaria pills and all that stuff. And the only thing that had to happen is my house needed to sell. And uh, then I was free to go to Liberia. So on Friday in April, I get an offer on my house. On Saturday, the offer falls through, mm-hmm. and on Sunday, Liberia goes into civil war, and all ports are closed inside and out. Hmm. Okay. So I couldn't, I couldn't go to Liberia. And uh, that was a dis- little bit of disillusionment at that time, going, okay, what is this about? And uh, years later, I came to realize that I was supposed to support Liberia not necessarily go to Liberia. And it comes back around as a miraculous story uh, later. Um, But then I ended up starting my business, um, which is we're an IT analyst firm. And uh, I I meet my wife and we get married and we start having kids and we decide to move to Franklin, Tennessee, where I live today. Okay. At that time when we moved, we put into plan that we wanted to do something if we hit certain financial goals in the business, we wanted to help widows and orphans because James one twenty seven said says pure and undefiled religion is this to visit widows and orphans in their distress. And so we wanted to do something financially to help widows now, when and when you orphans, say we, we,
1: this is you and your wife.
0: This is PMI. Yes, this is and, me
1: and my wife. And, and so, and let me, you, we're going so fast, so I just want to slow it down a second here. So, back to the Liberia, all that happening, to this point now with your wife and the children, how, how many years are we talking here?
0: Well, the bumper sticker was 1995, right. Things got down to 1996. I met my wife mm-hmm. probably three months, four months later, and uh, we got married in 1997.
1: So, not a long time, pretty short time, actually. Okay. And, and so... So now you're in this new world, you, your wife, and how many children?
0: I have two kids now.
1: Two, okay. And so the missions thing, why is it you had in your heart that you thought, I mean, I'm trying to understand, you're trying to make a living, you marry, you have children now. What else is going on that you think you have? You th- but you're, not, you're, you're a little restless, huh? Is that what it is? You're restless with yourself? You think something else has got to happen in your life?
0: At the time, no. I, oh. I was literally just—I was, okay. like I said—I was taking that class, the Obedient Life,
1: right.
0: and I wasn't thinking about missions at all, other than the fact that I had lunch that day with that guy, and five minutes later, I got fired. So um, that was back um, then, like though. Think, that
1: was back then.
0: Yeah, I had no plan to do missions whatsoever, um, and oh. I assumed—I assumed that I wasn't necessarily supposed to do missions. I was just trying to figure out why was I going through this journey, uh-huh. and then. Things were shut down
1: at this point in time, right? But that so, was then. But now you're now yep. you're married, and now you're yep. back to thinking you've got to do something. Is that? Uh, well, wh- uh, we
0: wanted to we wanted to help with just do something to help widows and orphans, not start anything. I see. So that's that's part of the fun the fun story. So um, at that time, I I had encouraged a young lady. Just she she came up to me as a guardian ad litem, and said. You know, I really have a heart for kids who are are pulled from their homes into foster care because that first night, they usually have to sleep on the administration floor. Do you think our pastor would be willing to uh, host a a spot for them or buy a house so we had a safe place for those kids to stay? And my enroll in this was basically, sure. Um, The reason that's so critical is it comes back 10 years later. So here I am starting a business, starting a, you know, Building a small family, trying to raise our family, et cetera, there. And all of a sudden, um, in uh, 2008, um, excuse me, we hit the goal. We hit one of the financial goals in November of 2007. January 4th of 2008, our pastor starts teaching out of that Genesis 12:1, "Leave your country, your father's household, and go to land I will show you." And I and I, I sat there. I said, "Well, this gets my attention." Um, and I was going through there and there's some promises in here. Um, and I will bless, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, you know, and I'll make your name great. And, and, and I had one of these experiences where the word popped off the page at me and the word was families. Um, there's a, there's a verse that says, and the families of the earth will be blessed. Mm -hmm. And the word just jumped off the page. And I was like, wow this is weird what what does families have to do with that at the time my son was doing uh flag football for the first time and I helped a guy um do the draft on a Friday and on that Monday he sends an email out that he's resigning from his position at the YMCA because he wants to do something with families so I followed that path and and he and I talked and I shared my story uh, with the bumper sticker and the journey and all this stuff, he shared his story, and that he was going to work with a group called Family Legacies that did no interest loans for families that wanted to adopt. And I was like, "Great, okay. The next day, I get a phone call from the young lady that I encouraged uh, that one day to just say, "Yeah, I think it'd be a good idea for you to start this this ministry." She calls and she says, "I was doing a Google search yesterday, and your name came up. so I wanted to call you because there's this conference that they're having here and they're going to have a dinner to celebrate me because we've been able to have more adoptions come through our program than any program in the country. Hmm. And I was like, wow, you've got to come down to this conference back back in Florida. So I called the guy back and I said, hey, do you know about this adoption, this thing called uh, Christian Alliance for Orphans Conference in Florida? He goes, yeah, my whole family's going next week. So I go down to this conference going, okay, I'm a business guy at an orphan conference. I have no idea why I'm here. So I'm sitting through the presentations, and Kay Warren, who was uh, Rick Warren's wife, a uh, famous pastor, yeah, um, she starts sharing about how her heart is broken um, and uh, for the, the children of Rwanda where she was working, and she shares some things, and it just, it just broke my heart. And then a gentleman by the name of Dennis Rainey got up there, and he shared, you know what? A child dies every 5.2 seconds. So I started doing the math, and it horrified me. Hmm. Uh, The kids are dying due to famine, abuse, neglect, disease, Mm -hmm. you name it, around the world. Mm -hmm. And then he shared something. He shared a quote from Winston Churchill that grabbed my heart and why I'm doing what I do today. He shared... The quote was, there comes into the life of every man a cause for which he is uniquely suited. Woe to that man if he's either unwilling or unprepared for that which may become his finest hour. Mm -hmm. And God, it was like God was saying, grabbing my heart and saying this whole bit about the bumper sticker and all this stuff
1: you're doing is about orphans. So, all of this you felt was a lead on and a well, lead up to what was going to happen next i guess yeah. and I think the question that I wonder if a lot of people are wondering and i certainly am is did you ever get to liberia i did i, I had a feeling you got there i, I just had yeah. i had a feeling that you you were because of the focus on that very interesting um so Retail Orphan Initiative, the name Retail ROI, what I get with that is, I, I mean, I think I, I see life as, as a return on investment and certainly a return on investment to these orphans, this initiative that you put forth. Is that, is that the play on the words? Absolutely, it's the play on the words. Yeah, fascinating. Retail ROI. And so what you've done now is you've taken your business Acumen and you've tied it to this, that's where the retail ROI comes in, and you've t- 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 tied it to this this whole cause of all these years of you trying to find the path forward, I guess. Um, what I think is what I'm wondering is, is, that I, I guess that fascinates me is um, I think there are a lot of people who have a calling in them or they feel something or a sense of something and they don't really act on it. Now, you said something early on that you can see these signs along the way or things that are going to happen, but that if they don't tie to Scripture, they may not mean as much and that you've got to tie that. And that's interesting to me. I guess I never really looked at it that way specifically. I I feel like if God's given you signs... That that would be enough, maybe, uh, of course, provided they are the right signs and that they are signs. I support Liberia. Be careful, friends, if you see the next bumper sticker and what it might say. <laughs> I'm afraid of that. I'll be back in just a moment.
2: Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health.
1: Greg Busick, uh he's uh, with Retail ROI, Retail Orphan Initiative. And this is helping, again, orphans, adoptions, uh, rescuing. There's a lot to this organization. From what I see here in the notes here, that you're now all you've been doing this for ten years all across the world twenty four countries almost a couple of hundred projects uh, you raised almost four million dollars twelve hundred girls rescued helped supported fourteen hundred adoptions built nineteen schools this is crazy stuff Greg
0: right well the the organization we don't do the work we we team up with great organizations who are on the front lines where we can come alongside with them and and help them to do the work.
1: That makes sense. That makes sense. So we
0: leverage our skill sets, our networks. So we have three goals for Retail ROI. Number one is to raise awareness to the needs of 143 million orphan children and 400 million vulnerable children around the world. Number two is we leverage our networks and our skill sets to make a difference in the lives. And the easiest way to explain that um, is to give a project. We had a school in Honduras that needed food. They needed two train car loads worth of corn to be able to do the 4,300 tortillas a day that they make for the school for 650 children. Um, I have a brother that works for Cargill. Cargill agreed to donate the the corn. However, it came in individual pieces. So another person found somebody that would bag it into 50-pound bags And then another person who does shipping and logistics for their living, she organized the FDA inspection, bought the container, and shipped it down there. So we were able to ship a year's supply of food for 650 people for $7,500. Wow. Um, So that's an example of using our skill sets uh, there. On the computer lab, another gentleman who just figured out how to create a, a mobile computing lab in a box mm-hmm. that he can take
1: first world education anywhere in the world and just drop it in. Okay, tell uh, us what the goal of ROI is. What's the, let's tell, what's the overarching goal of Retail Orphan Initiative?
0: Is to make a difference and change family trees uh, for these kids. Um, these are the, the forgotten children. Now these, these are the kids, forgotten. who are these kids? They're in the United States. They're foster children. There are 520,000 uh foster children in the united states that that are there that that need help that have no
1: parents that have no families that have right yeah
0: or their well their their parental rights um -hmm. have been taken away and they are in state custody that's right um but the the issue is different in every part of the world Mm -hmm. in sub-saharan africa most often you're dealing with hiv and aids and war Mm-hmm. That is the issue in China. It was traditionally has been the one-child policy, which right. has ended here in recent yeah. year. But you've got all those kids previously there. Um, in India, a lot of times it's religious and caste reasons.
1: Okay. Um, but you mentioned a moment ago the United States. Is your focus basically kids in the United States?
0: No, it's it's worldwide. It's what so I thought it was. About thirty-five to forty percent of our funds are directed to the U.S. And the rest are are done internationally. Now that's interesting. So the reason for so, that is it's about ten times more costly um, to effect change.
1: All right. So that's interesting. And and what is interesting about it is that um, some organizations. They become worldwide, but they forget about the kids at home here, the plight of children at home here. You know, we did some shows and conversations early on about uh, human trafficking, mm-hmm. you know, child trafficking, sex yep. trafficking, Enormous things of that nature. Yeah, and and there's a lot of that right here, but that's often forgotten as we. <laughs> there, in other words, there are many problems here at home yep. versus that are happening around the world, but they often forget that. But here you are—you're doing work here at home as well as abroad, um, and and that is an interesting piece to this. Uh, when you talk about these kids and when you see the amount of foster kids, and yeah. So your goal is to find them permanent homes. Is that part of it well, as well?
0: Yeah, that's that's part of it. We we don't really have that role um so to give you an example there's two two organizations we work with one called T- together for good mm-hmm. the other one called safe families and what they do about 50% of the kids in foster care today are in there not because they don't have a mom or dad that loves them but at a point of crisis there wasn't a safety net for those children so the state had to take over what well, percentage that, is that it's about 50% of the kids 50% that are in care. okay yeah And so the need there is to raise up what we call uh, safe families, those families to come around side this mom or dad in crisis and do co-parenting with them. Mm -hmm. So mom and dad can get back on their feet. Now, that could be they had a car accident and they're in the hospital. That could be short term incarceration. It could be having to go to rehab. It could be um, any number of reasons, but it's not due to abuse or neglect, which is what the state custody system is designed for, mm-hmm. uh, where they actually take away their kids. Um, but once those kids are in the in the system, regardless of how they're in the system, the parents have to fight for their children to to get them back. Mm-hmm. And it usually takes three years through the court system for them to fight to get their children back. And so two organizations that we helped fund, uh, really the back the the backbone and the uh, admin costs for, are safe families and together for good who do that kind of work. So that gives you an example of some of the groups we work with here. Um, I can't take a lot of credit for those, those big numbers here in the U S and worldwide. Um, We are blown away at uh, the people that we work with to say we work with a bunch of mother Teresa types is, is an understatement. Um, Every place has its own story and uh, own amazing story of the people that are on the front lines doing this work with the kids and once again we come alongside them and bring resources to help them
1: so there's a lot of people you're saying who genuinely care absolutely but yet you don't hear about that do you
0: no, they're the they're the hidden ones. That's right. They're the ones out doing it, not for applause, but they're doing it because it's the right thing to do.
1: Right, of course. I mean, people are genuinely good, uh, and I do believe that. Uh, in this fight of good versus evil, we have in in the world, right?
0: Yeah, and the stories the stories are astounding. Um, the lady in South Africa we work with, she was retired um, with her, her sister driving in Johannesburg. They were carjacked. From a black African youth and her sister was killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her response was to open up a, a school mm-hmm. for three to five year old black African children. Right. Because she said if they don't have education, they don't have hope. Right. So she spends her life now helping oh.
1: Well, here's why. And yeah. what what we have found out with the brink is that when something traumatic happens in your life or something that is a curveball in your life, whatever it might be, and it, and it can be pretty devastating like in the case of the one you just mentioned. Uh, I mean, it can be a total game changer. It, it can totally put you on another trajectory. Uh, that's why we find sometimes people we have that are like, really, really passionate about what they're doing because something happened in their life that put that right in front of them, right? I mean, that got them to react. We've seen that countless times on this program where people weren't planning on this, but their life changed dramatically and they had to act and do something about it. So life is funny that way, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and you, you just don't know where it's going to go, basically, which is where I started started this conversation. Right. As far as you never know when that's going to happen in your life, or what might happen to take you on another journey, um, to to uh, th- that you weren't anticipating, weren't expecting. Talk to us about when we look around the world, and you know, we always say you say orphans and and, and women, and in in this fight of good versus evil, Greg. Um, start here at home here. Let's talk about the problems we're having at home here and the amount of children that are in these foster homes and the amount of children that are Uh, really uh, captured into these uh, child trafficking and sex Mm -hmm. trafficking organizations, which is far bigger of a business in this nation than people realize. Absolutely. They have no idea. I mean, a lot of people, they're just sheltered in their lives, and they don't realize this stuff really happens here. They they really think this stuff goes on only in third world countries, Greg. Right. You see, see, they don't realize it goes on Mm -hmm. in Miami, goes on in New York, goes on in Nebraska. Right. Right? Yep. So, what's the what's the current state of affairs in that in that area, and, and what's what kind of strides are we making as a nation?
0: Well, I think we've had a very publicized case uh, that just popped up this week in our news cycle um, that hopefully is exposing uh, the problem to a, a broader audience. But it's it's a problem that continues to grow. Why is um, it grow? Well, we- no,
1: stop there. Why does it grow so much? Any I idea? Wish- I
0: wish I knew the yeah, answer. Yeah, I was going to say, right? I wish I knew the answer. The depravity of man, that's all I can say. Um, why Why something as heinous as selling a child for sex, um, I, and women as
1: well. Um, well, a lot of women, a lot of teenagers, yeah. a lot of yeah. young women, a lot of everything. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it here. We don't have an answer either. We don't know why yeah. people ha- are so evil in that way, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, it it's um, it really does rattle the mind. I mean, yeah, who, it does. who knows? I can't put my arms around it. I can anybody listen and put their mind on that? And I mean, other than what we always say, the fight of good versus evil. But how do you do that to another human being? I, Kevin, why How do how do people do that, Kev?
3: I have no idea. I mean, the fact that it's a hundred and fifty billion dollar business. Mm-hmm is just incredible and i guess it's more than drugs and gun trafficking so i mean it's the biggest business that we have and i I mean i was reading through some greg you know greg stuff Mm -hmm. on orphans and he just says if orphans were a country they would be the eighth largest country in the world that's how many orphans there are it's larger than russia so i mean there really is a problem out there and and that's why i I think of Greg and what he's doing in that organization is helping kids who, you know, need help.
1: Right where Kevin is right now, talking about the need and the numbers that are involved in these orphans. Tell us more. Why and how come and what can we do about it? Well, the the, the reasons are, are many and they're different
0: in different parts of the world. Uh it's, In many cases, it's just... Parents abandon their kids because the economically they can't support them, um, and that is a big problem in Africa. Uh, sometimes there are, you know, policies of the government that prohibit kid them from having multiple children, so they they want to have the perfect. Child, which was a big problem in China, you wanted to have the perfect male child right. for, for the longest years because of population growth. Mm-hmm. So if you had a female or you had any they child, killed had any they killed them. They killed them in they, cases. They got abandoned or killed. That's Correct.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: Um, there, and so the the in, in, in the U.S. It's a, like like I said, it's abuse and neglect and lack of safety nets. In place, um, so the the situation is is very different in different parts of the world. That's why it's so critical to work with organizations who have feet on the ground in those local communities to make a difference.
1: Yeah. Now, the, the purpose I see here in the notes here, I'm looking at the purpose of Retail ROI is to raise awareness, which we're doing right now, mm-hmm. and provide real solutions for more than four hundred million. Vulnerable children worldwide, which is Kevin where you were a moment ago with the numbers, right? <laughs> I mean, it's staggering. The, I mean and you look at the, the, the various goals you have, so it's to bring awareness to the enormous needs of orphans worldwide, to encourage companies, and you're saying retailers and vendors, et etc, to create programs internally for their companies to help with that need. And then to raise funds through the following ways to help feed on the street charities who are making a real difference. So you you feed into the charities Correct. and to these 501c3s and, and help them mm-hmm. do what they need to do. Again, on, on, right on long side of them, as you said earlier, right?
0: Right, exactly. So we we start with any project that we work with a charity. The first thing we do is we start with clean water. Is there clean water? Because if you don't have clean water, you can't do much of, of anything mm-hmm. uh, there. Next, it's it's protection of the kids um, with, that, uh, with that as well. And those usually go hand in hand. After that, we're looking at education. If there's not a school, we can help build a school uh, there. And that's what we've been able to do. And then next, we've come in with computer labs and life skills training. And once again, executive talent. So I, I would think that the biggest success we've had is actually unleashing uh, people who are really successful people in their own right, but are looking for significance. And there's a big difference between success and significance. And we've got a lot of really incredible people, really talented people who have now joined boards and brought that uh, business acumen and, um, and legitimacy, so to speak, to those charities where oftentimes they're led by somebody that just has their heart on their sleeve mm-hmm. and they're out there living day to day just to help. Wow. And when
1: you combine those two together, mm-hmm. it's right. powerful. How many charities, roughly, are you you're working with? What are we talking?
0: I'd say we probably are working with about 50 different charities. We've done a hundred and ninety three projects through Right. Those.
1: Okay, but about 50 different charities and so some probably more than others.
0: Yeah, so the way we work, the way we do things, Malcolm, is the way we choose charities. First of all, it has to be somebody in the retail industry is already working with that charity. They're already personally involved with that charity in some manner. Second, we start with a project um, that is in the five to $10,000 range, a small project that they have a specific need for in that charity. And it's got to be obviously around orphans and vulnerable kids. And then based on that, we want the feedback cycle. We want the results. What results were achieved? We take that back to our membership group and ask them, hey, do you want to continue to invest in this? This is the next project. And based on those results, we continue to invest. So there are some charities that we've done 15 or 20 projects with because they not only get our group and we do trips with them and we go visit and they get understand that we're not the guys to build stuff Mm -hmm. physically, because we're executives. You don't want me painting anything, you don't want me building anything. I might be able to do demo work, but my real value is brainstorming with you and finding out what the needs are of that charity and where we can help and then leveraging my network. Um, More than anything else, I'm a connector.
1: Listen, I want to give you uh, uh, an email address here as well, a new email address that we have, and you can reach to us anytime here if you have a story or something unique or you want to comment on this one with Greg. By all means, uh, just email us at greatness at com. We'd love to hear from your friends. The Brink of Greatness plays Saturday and Sunday. And you catch that 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can hear it anywhere in the world on America Out Loud Talk Radio. You can hear it on iHeart Radio. You can hear it on many different networks. America Out Loud Talk Radio, you look for that. Or just get the apps on Apple or Android. And all those connect. just go to your app store. Oh, one other thing. We just, by the way, happened. This, this is brand new. Alexa. You know, that little speaker you talk to, friends out there, that you say, Alexa, blah, 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 you know, Amazon Alexa. That's pretty pretty popular, actually. I do not have one. Uh, but um, it, people love this thing. And uh, th- we are now, that app is available on Alexa. So you can just say, play America out loud, and guess what? It will play it. Uh, friends, that's, that's the setup on the brink of greatness. Uh, uh, we've completely done a lot with our platform our new site at brinkofgreatness.com you can visit us there and check out a lot of the new activities the podcast the the, uh, the the talk radio initiative and all of the stories and the blogs on there that's what this platform is all about we're about making a difference we're about showcasing what's right with the world what's good this is putting a spotlight on those people that are on the front lines there are a lot of them out there And this job and this role is to to spotlight. These are things you don't get on the 6 o'clock news, but you'll find them here. And you'll find out a lot more about that right after the pause, friends. We'll be back on the brink in just a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity news blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Greg, the story you told us where you went back to your desk, if folks didn't hear that in the earlier part of the program and was fired and then life took you on a journey there. So I gotta ask you, when you finally got to Liberia, what did it feel like when you got there? And, And help us, let us all use our imagination a moment. Describe to us when you got off the plane in Liberia, what it was like and what that experience was, please.
0: Well, yeah, the funny part about it is I was supposed to go with another gentleman and his flight, he missed his flight and I was in the Atlanta airport, and after this, really, this was 2010, so 15 years of not going to Liberia, I had to make a decision. Do I get on the plane and go, or do I not? Um, And I decided to get on the plane. And so I, I land in Liberia, and the first thing that hits you is the heat, and the mugginess and the, uh, it's kind of like going to Disney world in August, I guess, in terms of how the heat and the humidity is wow. there. Um, it's just, you can cut it with a knife. And there was a gentleman by the name of Emmanuel Jones, uh, that I had met previously here in the States. He was the only person I knew in Liberia at the time. And, uh, he picked me up and it was like going home in a way. Um, why: There. Uh, just the peacefulness in my heart that I knew I was where I was supposed to be um, at that moment. Um, I had gone from not wanting to go, never wanting to go, acquiescing that I had to go to now deciding I wanted to go.
1: So uh, the like peace Drew. in your heart that you thought you were felt like you were home. That's that's a that's a real stretch in my mind. Why is yeah, Well, that? Not,
0: not home. I guess is the wrong word. Okay. Perhaps it's okay. more that that I'm where I'm supposed to, to be, be at that
1: moment in but time. But you felt comfortable is the better word. Probably you yeah, felt comfortable. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly.
3: I mean, if you imagine the journey yeah. he's been on, <laughs> I mean, the fact that he thought about Liberia, he actually sold his home for a second, then it went through. And then he 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 finds out that there's a civil war and he can't go. It's like mm-hmm. he was ready to go and it all stopped. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's a journey where you're finally going to a place that you thought about, that you wanted to help these people, and you finally arrive. Right. And you I know, thought
0: that's where it all came together. And that was kind of the end of it, Kevin. <laughs> it was... Uh if i look back on the last 10 years of retail roi and it's a play on words because we're we're all part of the technology industry um mm-hmm. there and we never thought it was going to grow or do anything we just thought it was a bunch of friends that just wanted to help kids so how 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 did it come together on that trip i met a lady who was uh working in the poorest slum in africa and and um it's it's uh in in monrovia Liberia. It's called West Point. Um, So the same as our our military academy. Mm -hmm. It's called West Point. We've got 100,000 people that live in the area about the size of a U.S. mall. And they had started a girls school and we agreed to give them a computer lab to to start there. So as their first year of that of that school. Literally, we gave them the computer lab, they started off, and they did their thing. I came home and just started doing, you know, the rest of my the rest of my life. And this was two thousand and thirteen. In July of two thousand and fourteen, um, Ebola broke out in Liberia. And all of the NGOs and all the charities um, were pulling out. Um, everybody was pulling out because half the medical infrastructure, there, half the doctors and nurses died. Yeah, it was uh, a big problem.
1: It was a big problem insidious. in a lot of areas, yeah. Yeah, yeah horribly insidious yeah. disease. Mm-hmm.
0: So mm-hmm. when everybody pulled out, she went back. And the reason she went back is because they quarantined West Point. That 100,000 people, there was Ebola in the inside there, and they just drew a rope around it I and remember. wouldn't let anybody yeah. know. Yeah. And it was just this horrible thing, but, but her girls were there. Mm -hmm. and so she went back when everybody else wouldn't go. In August of that year, I got a call, and I said, how can we help? You're the only one doing work there. How can we help there in in Liberia? And she said, you know, there are only four ambulances in the entire country. Hmm. It's a country the size of New Jersey. There's only four ambulances in the entire country. It's taking four days for an ambulance to show up in, in West Point. Um, and the way Ebola worked, the first two days, you feel like you've got the flu. The third day, um, you had blood started coming out of your ears and eyeballs, and you were basically dead by the fourth day. And it was taking four days for an ambulance to come. And she said, we we need we need an ambulance. And we had, at ROI, we had been considering hiring somebody, so we had some money set aside at that point in time. We couldn't find the right person. But because I had a bumper sticker... Twenty years earlier on I ninety five in South Florida, I didn't hesitate, and said, "Here's that check for that money. Go buy an ambulance." Wow, wow. Um, all I can tell you is, if you can imagine a hundred thousand people in your local mall, and if you touched one of them, you would die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once again, all we did was send a check. But a bumper sticker twenty years earlier um, led me to send the check. We sent the check. They did the work, and. We estimate they probably save somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand lives.
1: Really, rep- without ambulance?
0: Well, it's because once again, um, you were most infected mm-hmm. when you die or you fall down. So you, Malcolm, you could be walking along with me, and I start to stumble and fall, okay. and you don't know that I've got it. And just in your good heart, you reach out to try to steady me. Right, you just got Ebola. Right. Or you have a child, a crying child, and you pick up that crying child mm-hmm. and they were infected,
1: you got Ebola. Right. No, That's how yeah, insidious easy. disease was. All right. So, Greg, and, you're doing extraordinary work now. You're doing it around the globe here. Tell us um, wh- where, are you, where are you based out of? Where are you based out of? I'm in Nashville. You're, you're okay but uh, so the organization itself is it just is it it's out, of based out of la actually it's based out of los angeles That's what i'm asking so it's la okay mm-hmm. and now you and you're serving like a whole list of countries here now right with these charities right. and things is that right
0: Right. Once again, we we work with uh, U.S. based five hundred one C threes, mm-hmm. so they're all in the U.S., but they're doing the
1: work overseas. Yeah, I mean, you're look in. At, you look at these <laughs> the list of countries. Give us an idea. I mean, you're in Uganda. You're in China. You're in. We right. Said Ethiopia, Liberia.
0: South Africa, yeah. um, Zambia,
1: um, China, uh, Cambodia.
0: Yep. And here, Haiti. We do a lot of work in Haiti, uh, Honduras, mm-hmm. um, Dominican okay. Republic.
1: Yeah. So, so you're in a lot of different countries, a lot of different places. Um, and it, it really gives you a sense and a feel of the world very clearly. And the organization is reaching in and it's helping all of these kids. I mean, why, don't, why doesn't anybody ever hear about this story, Greg? I mean, I've never, it's like, never heard about this story. It's pretty, pretty profound. Well, it's not really about us. We're, it's really about the charities we work through. Right, but is it, no, it's about that. Uh, yeah, of course. I know. it's was about you, but it's about the work you're doing. It's about the fact that you're making a difference.
3: Well, yeah. Think about uh, Greg. I mean, he's part of a retail organization. So, mm-hmm. you know, I work for Toshiba, which is part of retail. He has taken these forces, these CEOs, groups of uh, of executives together. And calling it retail, meaning hey, we're a retail organization using our influence, mm-hmm. right? And then oh, our ROI, of course, return on investment. But you know, retail orphan initiative, he's using that 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 influence and those connections, like to get um, to get things compu- done. Yeah, get computers yeah. to get whatever right. anybody needs. Ambulances. <laughs> using the supply chain that they have as well to get things done at a cheaper Very unique, cost, Kev. Very well.
1: unique, the way they've done so, that, buddy.
3: Yeah. So from a retail perspective, it's well known. Mm-hmm. But you're right, outside of the retail, it's probably less known.
1: Well, which is what we're doing now, Kev, and trying to expose some of this I mean, exactly. to the public, yeah, so they know. How are you raising money with this? Is it just asking for donations, Greg, or is there another we, method or mechanism you use?
0: Yeah, we certainly have donations on our site. We we actually have a fundraiser um, coming up. I don't know when this broadcasts. We have one called uh, March Gladness, where we play brackets to build schools <laughs> and stuff um, around the world um, there. But our primary fundraiser is an IT analyst conference um, in New York as part of the National Retail Federation show. Um, we piggyback on that show, and we ask everybody to come in on Saturday, uh, all the retailers to come in, and then we charge vendors um, and we bring the best speakers we know in the industry to talk about the latest trends on what retailers are doing, what they're deploying, um, the best speakers. And we ask them, do you believe in free speech? Um, and if they say yes, we say, come on and give one. And they come in and, uh, and share their best. And through that, we raise most of the money there. Um, certainly, we have a donate page on our website. Uh, there are individuals that donate as part of that. But most of our funding to date is come,
1: comes from that event. Okay. Um, and that event happens what month? It's in January. January. Okay. So you just had it um, recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what, um, what does the future hold for, for the organization? Well, there's, there's a
0: couple things that are in the works right now. The, the challenge of, of, of working with uh, orphans and vulnerable kids is a lot of times they're at a distance. And when you're competing for dollars, you're often competing against people that have personal experiences with a cause. So there are so many great causes. You've got, you know, breast cancer and Alzheimer's and clean water projects, et cetera, there. So we're actually trying to work in our, in our skill sets to help create a platform for giving at the point of sale where we're kind of like the middleman who helps link Retailers to charities that make the most sense for them and unleash the power of the US consumer in donations. But the thing that's missing from most giving campaigns at point of sale today is consumers don't get the stories back. And so, what we're looking to do is provide those stories back to those retailers so they can better connect with their constituents. So, for instance, it makes no sense for REI um, to choose. Alzheimer's as their cause when their clientele is primarily, you know, nature uh, folks and adventurists, et cetera there. Clean water is a much better choice there. But how do you get when you collect funds at the point of sale, how do you get those stories back at the impact of those donations? And we're looking to build that as a funding mechanism of which orphans and vulnerable kids, the funding from that comes out of it as a small fee of that funding.
1: Okay. Let's, when you talk about these stories as well, I, I guess what I'm thinking here too, let's be sure we stay in touch and stay close. Some of these unique charities and the unique stories, because each one is different, as you say, whether it's like you just mentioned, Alzheimer's, whatever it is. Um, we. That's our plan, our mission here with The Brink is to get those stories out there, Greg, that that are not out there, you know, clearly. Okay. And, and, well, like you say, I mean, information is powerful. Educating people is powerful. But if the American consumers don't know about this, if we're not really, if they're not aware of these things that are happening, and, and again, the unique organizations and the unique people that are making a difference out in the front lines. I think there are a lot of people out there who really passionately care, who are making a difference in the world. You just don't hear about it. You see, right? that's what we want to change right here, Greg. So you can, we can partner with you in the way that uh, we'll help you get some of those stories out. So as you see them, think of the brink of greatness and think of how we can uh, loop back around to help you help them and we'll help them uh, get the word out there and put it out across all the. And just think, you know, it, we put them on talk radio, but we get to put it on all the podcast networks. The beautiful thing about podcasts, it becomes a um, uh, a moment in time and it's documented and it, it's a beautiful thing because then, it, it you know, you, you have that, you know, it's uh, you can use it as a as a marketing message, you know, to get that message out there, you know.
3: Yeah. So. I, I couldn't imagine the, your friend who was at West Point. Right? right. Right. When she's there by herself helping, you know, going into the crisis rather than running away. I couldn't imagine. I could just imagine her story of what she did yeah. throughout that period and how inspirational that would be to everyone. I mean, it's just yeah. it's.
1: Yeah, that's a story in itself. That is a very accurate statement, Kevin. That That is definitely a story in itself. There's a lot of great stories here. Again, I, I you know, the whole impetus of this uh, platform was to put a spotlight in it. Let me give folks the website it is retailroi.org. Very easy, uh, retailroi.org. And I was just on it a bit ago here. It's a very good site. You get a lot of information on there and see the work that's being done and so on and so forth. Uh, the numbers are staggering here overall that these companies have done. I just shared with you, think about this, people, the difference they're making in the world. I mean, over the course of 10 years, they're working all around the world in many, many countries, a couple of dozen countries, almost a couple of hundred projects, raising millions of dollars, rescuing children, over 1,200 girls rescue, helping to support over 1,400 adoptions, helping, again, build schools, clean water, which Greg mentioned a couple of times, Um, You know, and and the other thing you always want to look at with with 501c3s and not-for-profits is what percentage goes straight to the activities. He's saying here 94 percent. And having worked with a lot of 501c3s over my career here, um, the measurement we used to always use is it had to be over 90 percent. If it wasn't well over 90 percent, then they weren't doing the job or the work that they should do. That's what we found at our level was. And so that's you agree with that, Greg?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. All right. yep. So
1: that's what we use as a barometer here. So so again the numbers are are very good. I mean they're staggering. You can donate as well as Greg had said, but again they have these functions, activities. It's really about building awareness and it's about having passion and care for thy fellow man. And you know, this is again when you talk about how can we make a difference in the world, we wanna make a difference. There are a lot of people that don't have as fortunate a situation. Kids that are born, born time in is everything in life. They're born at the wrong moment, the wrong people, the wrong time, or they don't have parents or something. Or imagine how devastating that is for families and, and people out there. And you, and you get this stuff all over the place. It's happening right here in Main Street, USA. You don't have to go to Africa to find these people. It's right here, just as everything else are. The problems are here. They're just not spotlighted. That's what we need to do is put a spotlight on these things and bring them to, that's the kind of stuff we should be talking about. You want to talk about humanity and saving people? Let's start there. Let's not start with the rest of the baloney and malarkey that goes on and political circles and God knows what else. But this is where we can make a difference. Human life, humanity, that's, I mean, how does it get any better than that? Friends, the brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back. What's holding you back, friends? Remember to take the next leap forward.